Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. And to help you do that today, our guest, Melody Wilding, is an executive and leadership coach for smart, sensitive, high achievers who are tired of getting in their own way. And through her private one-on-one coaching program, talks, or small group workshops and articles. She helps you break free from self-doubt and overwhelm, master your emotions, and use your sensitivity as the superpower that it is. Recently named one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches, Melody coined the groundbreaking idea of sensitive striving, which I love this term. She has helped CEOs, leaders, and top performers at the world most successful companies, including Google, Facebook, JP Morgan, Verizon, and many more. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Oprah's Magazine, NBC News, and dozens of other high-profile publications. She currently teaches human behavior at Hunter College and is a columnist for magazines such as Inc. and Forbes, and she gave us just a wonderful interview. I think there are a lot of very specific takeaways for how emerging leaders can build confidence and connection. A brief apology before we even get going. Shelly and I were using our internal microphone for this interview and didn't realize it till after it was over. Fortunately, Melody sounds great. She's all mic'd up appropriately. So thanks for bearing with us on this one episode where our mics weren't working. Melody Wilding, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really an honor. So I'm going to just jump in here because as I just told you, I really, um, I've been binge reading and looking at your work the last couple of days. Um, and I'm so struck by your work and the integration of how you work with what you call sensitive strivers and in reading it. And I bet you get this a lot, especially from a lot of high achieving women Mm -hmm. feel compelled to do a lot with their lives. Like I'm reading it. I'm almost like emotional. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so me. This is is exactly the struggles I have. This is the work I want to be doing. So I'm I'm so excited to have you here. And I want to ask, let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by a sensitive striver. Let's define that a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. So a sensitive striver is someone who is highly sensitive, but also high achieving. So the highly sensitive piece refers to someone who has a more highly attuned nervous system. So there's actually um, Elaine Aaron uh, is the original researcher who discovered this trader and gave it a term back in the 90s. And her work shows that there is a certain percent of the population, about 15 to 20% of the population, that has this genetic trait difference that leads to being more um, more attuned to everything that's going on both within yourself and around you. So uh, her research and that of others has shown that sensitive people really have different mental circuitry. Um, so our brain areas, we tend to have more active mirror neurons, which means which is one reason that we're we're so highly empathetic. Um, we have more neurochemical 
uh, action in areas related to attention, action planning, decision-making. Um, and in my work, what, what I had noticed over the, the past 10 years of being a coach and really working with a very high-achieving type of person is that this combination of these two traits, the high sensitivity with the high achieving piece, really leads to a very particular set of strengths, but also challenges. Um, and so in general, the, the people I tend to work with are very attuned to their own emotions as well as those of other people. Um, they pick on they pick up on more inputs um, around them, but they also have a high inner drive. They're very career-oriented, ambitious, uh, but they can also put a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed. So uh, those two qualities, when they come together, again, it can have tremendous upsides, but it can also lead to being more easily stressed and overwhelmed. So that's that's really, it's a sensitive striver. It, it is what it sounds like. It's the combination of those two traits together. I love it. I love it. And I, um, this resonates so much. And I was reading a little bit about kind of, um, the monikers we put on ourselves and that other people put on us, which is like, Oh, you're so sensitive. Mm -hmm. Or Can you just quit overthinking this so much? Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, my growing up, I was, I would, and I still today, I I don't like this term, but the black sheep of the family kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought about like this idea of, you know, in, in childhood and in a holding environment when you're the scapegoat, you know, this mm-hmm. idea that you get the emotional load from people in your environment and because they discharge it on you because you are sensitive and you, mm-hmm. you do are perceptive and pick up on these things. And, a lot, and I grew up in a family where we didn't deal with, we didn't talk about emotions. Mm-hmm. I was the emotional one. I was the sensitive one. Mm-hmm. So I would pick up and then, you know, the, the scapegoat, you know, and literature is the one that they cast all the sins or the demons on the goat and cast it away. Is that right? Yeah, the, scape, the, the scapegoat, the scapegoat motif. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think the sensitive, and I'm just interested if you have any idea of like in your work around people that grow up in environments where they are really perceptive of other people's yep. emotions. Do they tend to get scapegoated on? Um, is that some of the background that with the people you work with? And I, and I guess, how does that uh, influence them as adults too? Yeah, it's such a great question and, and such an amazing insight to see that your, your upbringing really influences how the how the trait expresses itself because becoming a sensitive striver, I always say it's, it's part nature. It's part just your natural disposition, but it's also nurture. It's, it's like you were saying, those narratives we grow up with and those experiences of stop taking things so personally, grow a thicker skin. And we take those narratives to mean that we're, we're not enough. We're defective as we are. We need to change when in actuality, it's other people projecting their insecurities onto us, but we take them on as our, as our own. And so, yes, I see this all the time that, uh, and my background is as a therapist. So, um, I, I tend to think and see the world through that lens of, uh, you know, family of origin, 
But I see this all the time with my clients who either grew up in families and, you know, high sensitivity, it's not a well-understood trait. So it's, it's understandable why most families don't recognize this or appreciate this. And I think we're starting to see that change in the way people are parenting their children and the way our workplaces are operating. But of course, many of us didn't grow up in those environments. And mm-hmm. as sensitive strivers, not only are we highly Uh, Many of us are empaths, which means we're perceptive, intuitive, observant. We become an emotional sponge. So I know for myself, and I see this with clients as well, that um, they were highly, uh, out of necessity many times, highly vigilant in their upbringing where they were the peacekeeper. They were the one that um, kept the harmony in the home or... um, tried to keep everyone happy. And as an adult, that can express itself as people-pleasing. So many of the clients I work with have trouble with saying no at work, taking on too much. They burn out because they they don't know how to set boundaries, which stems from people-pleasing in their younger years, um, as well as over-functioning, where um, sensitive strivers... It, they have a quality of high responsibility, which makes them very loyal, um, makes them very diligent. But if that uh, quality is unbalanced, it can become overfunctioning, where we take on too much responsibility, we fix situations for people, and that can lead to underfunctioning on the behalf of other people. So you see this oftentimes in families and relationships, and you see it in the workplace too. Um, a lot of the leaders I work with are over-functioners. Uh, they're, they're in execution mode. They will solve every problem for their team. And then their team never mm-hmm. learns how to be independent, uh, how, to, how to make their own judgment calls. And it just, it keeps those sensitive strivers in this, in this loop that they can't escape. Um, so yes, I see that many times, how your, your background and your family can now express itself in different ways in your uh, professional and personal life as an adult. Melody. So as you're, as you're talking, um, I, I can see this, uh, you know, in Shelly's, um, some of her background and behavior. And, and I think that like, I could see a lot of women embracing this, yeah. the, this term. And I, I know that, you know, yet there are a lot of men who are sensitive strivers out there, but mm-hmm. uh, do they resist the, the term. Do, 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 do you find that with your, um, your clients? Do, are men embracing this kind of term of being a sensitive striver um, just as much? I, I love this question and this topic. Um, and the, the research shows that um, sensitivity, it's about uh, the trait is about equally expressed between men and women. So they, they haven't found many differences. And actually what they have found is that mm. younger boys, um, particularly around newborn age, actually are more sensitive than younger girls to their environment. So there's that. But of course, men grow up with very you know, ideals about masculinity that then yeah. kind of take them away from their natural selves. But what's funny is as I've been talking more about sensitivity, particularly in the last year and a half, um, my my client base moved from about 90% female, 10% male to about 50-50. Um, so the more I have talked about sensitivity, the more men 
uh, have, have come out, have joined my community. And I find that they really take to this term that the, the term itself is, um, is, is gender neutral for the most part. Um, and it's been really incredible to, to see that there are men who are, um, proud of and recognize that it's a strength for them in terms of how they show up both personally and professionally. That's really interesting. So, and how do we, I, I know you've, you've got a lot of great content that you're putting out there to help people sort of identify whether or not they, they do fall into this category, but is there a personality type? Like what kind of ways do we, can we measure to understand a little bit better uh, what makes for the combination of being sensitive and aspiring as a striver? Yeah. Yeah. And so I have developed a framework that it might be helpful to go through to give people um, some understanding if they may fit this profile. So there, there are six key qualities that make up being a sensitive striver. And uh, as I was alluding to earlier, these can at, you know, at once be a source of strength, but if they're unbalanced or overused, for example, can become a source of stress. So the first quality is sensitivity, which may seem obvious, but sensitivity refers to that um, perceptiveness. It refers to the um, physiological aspect of having a more heightened nervous system. So sensitive strivers tend to have a heightened response to everything that's happening um, within and around them, which again means that they're observant. They're aware of their environment, but they can also get very easily overstimulated, especially if they feel uh, evaluated, put under pressure. So this is why um, I tend to see for a lot of my clients, they struggle with um, feeling like they have to quote unquote perform in the workplace. In meetings tend to be very stressful because they feel like the spotlight is on them and that amps up that natural um, that, that heightened nervous system response that they already have. So that's the first one, sensitivity. Can I, can I stop you for just a second? Yeah, of I course. Really, I, want, I want people to really understand this idea of sensitivity. Uh, and maybe again, it's because I'm, I'm overcompensating for something of my own <laughs> shame in my childhood. But this is, this is, um, this is a physical and kind of a, a, a way that our brains are made that manifest physically for us. And so, yes, I think it's conditioned over time as either an asset or a liability um, so we can hone it. But this is really like something embodied in us, you know, the people that are really perceptive. This is the way that our brain is wired. And this is how uh, our nervous system kind of responds to the activity in our brain. So I really, I, I, I just, I think there are, there's an implication of weakness or like, I, you know, I, don't, I, I don't know if people feel that way, but I think this is a superpower. And so I really mm -hmm. want people to understand the science behind this is how the brain is functioning. Yeah, I think that that is, just to add, like, I think that is Melody's message very much that it is a superpower. But, I, I mean, yeah, in, in growing up, I think that I'm a sensitive. You are very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's sort of shamed out of you. Mm -hmm. It's like. We, we literally use that word, you know, don't be so sensitive. Right. You know? Yeah. And especially in a work environment, which I know we're going to get to, I think it's tricky, like navigating mm -hmm. that terrain of being a really highly sensitive person in this kind of results driven kind of 
you know, and I come from the startup world, so it's just mm-hmm. a really hustle. Like we don't have time for feelings, you know. Yes. Get over it. Exactly. And, and I think there's just a real, um, again, it's a superpower for people that can harness it. So I just wanted to say that. Number two, sorry. Yes. Well, and, and to piggyback off of that, you know, the we don't have time for feelings mentality, especially in the startup world, I think you find, and I'm sure Shelly, you may have found in your experience that many times that comes back to bite you. So if you don't have time for feelings or know how to manage them constructively in the presence, that's going to come back in the end. Um, But to, to piggyback off of what you were saying about the biological aspect, um, the, the trait of high sensitivity is actually an evolutionary advantage. That's why researchers think it stuck around is because evolutionarily speaking, it was invaluable to be more attuned to what was happening so that you could avoid predators, you could stay free from harm. And so recognizing things that less sensitive people didn't was actually incredibly advantageous to help higher sensitivity people make wiser decisions, come out ahead. So it's, it is actually a biological advantage that um, you're right. We have sort of socialized into being a negative, unfortunately. Um, So, okay. So, so quality number one uh, is sensitivity. Quality number two is thoughtfulness. And I should say that these qualities spell out the acronym STRIVE. So very easy to remember. Um, So number two is thoughtfulness, being highly aware, reflective, intuitive. Um, Sensitive strivers really have a advanced ability to see nuance, to really synthesize information and find connections, uh, which is what makes them so original and creative. Uh, And then on the flip side, I often hear people tell me that they feel like their mind never turns off. They overanalyze or overthink day-to-day situations. And being so self-aware, I find, can actually go the other direction to to become self-criticism, where we're so aware of our thoughts that we can get trapped in our own head. So that's thoughtfulness. Do you want me to pause there? Yeah, well, I think... And I think there's, um, Chad, you, you've talked about, or maybe y'all have already shared, um, or maybe written about, Melody, this idea of strategic. And I don't know if that's in, mm-hmm. in, in line with this kind of thoughtfulness idea. But I remember I took, uh, when I was working in the startup world, I took strength finders and um, my top five strength, well, my top first number one strength is strategic. Mm-hmm. And I remember they, they all kind of laughed at me and they're like, you're not strategic. Like, you're such a feeler. Mm-hmm. And this idea that you can't, if you're, if you have big heart, if you're heart forward, you can't somehow be also like really strategic at thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, it, this makes me think of that. Um, and even, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Um, yes. Okay. Cause if, if people listen to the podcast long enough, they know that probably I'm going to drop something every episode about the Enneagram. <laughs> and this makes me think of that. So I'm a type two, which is mm-hmm. the, the giver helper type, which is um, actually my subtype is social. So I'm a social too, mm-hmm. uh, which really kind of mistypes sometimes as a type three, which is the achiever. Yep. And so I live in this space that you're talking about. And the, the thing that clicked for me when I was um, learning about the Enneagram and figuring out my type was when we talked about, um, I got coaching around this idea that my type is very strategic. 
strategic helpers. And so we're strategic givers and caregivers. So we're always kind of thinking about, and you know, overthinking, I think at times, how can my helping and my caring be strategic for me to get my needs met? Hmm. Um, this is something I think, I mean, we could probably unpack this for the next hour, but, but we do. We, I mean, the sensitive strivers really do tend to get into this cycle of overthinking, um, I think sometimes, too, to get our own needs met. And so that's where I yeah. see my thoughtfulness and my strategy, like, really coming out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and actually that that will connect to another one of the strive qualities I'll mention in just a minute. Um, So we have sensitivity, thoughtfulness, the R is responsibility. And I was mentioning this earlier when we were talking about um, family dynamics. So with responsibility, sensitive strivers tend to be very dependable. They're the person you can trust and the one you want to look to for support. Um, But we can be hardworking many times to a fault. Uh, and because we we can't bear to let people down, we often sacrifice our own well-being in order to in order to meet whatever goal we have to or whatever promise we have made to other people. So that's where that overfunctioning comes in. Um, that's the flip side of responsibility. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah. I was working with a, a client recently who was talking like this. That hatred of disappointing people, mm-hmm. uh, and we really had to unpack that. Like disappointment was loaded with so much um, baggage and shame, and not enough. And and so yeah, I really do think that we we tend to uh, you know, put that in, that load on us that it's somehow our responsibility, which can be great. I think it makes us really motivated and get a lot done. Uh, but the burden of that too, I think, is is heavy for a lot of people. Exactly. Exactly. What, Sorry. I said, what's the, what's the next one? Are we number four? Right? Yes. Sorry. So number four, inner drive. Uh, so this is that desire to exceed expectations in every aspect of life. Wow, so yes. <laughs> so sensitive strivers and, and you probably relate to this, but we devote substantial energy to our careers, to our goals. Um, but I think what separates sensitive strivers just from, you know, your, your stereotypical ambitious person is that we care deeply about making an impact. We want meaning, we want fulfillment. Um, so nothing makes us more excited than checking, (laughs) hitting our goals, checking boxes off. Um, But again, flip side of this can be that we often set an unrealistically high bar for ourselves. So I often see a lot of perfectionism with sensitive strivers where before uh, they they have set one goal and then before they even reach it, they've moved the goalpost even higher. Um, Yeah. So that happens a lot. You're laughing, Jackie. Yes, true. Yeah, as you're talking too, Melody, along these lines, I I do like the way that it's uh, it's drive, so we can keep up with um, you know each of these things. But part of I think there's a little combination of also I think sensitive strivers between maybe the way that they're thoughtful or uber responsible, they often turn their field of vision inward instead of like maybe a normal person outward. Yes. We're normal. <laughs> normal, sensitive, strivers. sensitive strivers. Um But like, and so I think that that, that leads to anxiety, but I, I don't know if you, if what you, do you mean by turning it 
Well, yeah. like actually the, the field of it. So um, I remember that seeing that on brain pickings. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know brain pickings, Melody? I do. Yep. Yeah. And she's got this thing about um, some, something from um, the thin slices of anxiety and uh, some, she, she brings in some, I think, stoic philosophy to talk about it. But she talks about, like, for an anxious person, their field of vision is turned inward. And, you know, for the normal person, it's, it's turned outward. And I, I don't know. I, I see. I do think that, like, I do a lot of, I don't know if I should call it self-recrimination, but a lot of, I, I really have that lens turned on the inside. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear what you think about that, Melody, because I see <laughs> both. Sometimes drivers kind of live in this this yep. intersection of both both of those things. Okay, well, I'm asking. Yep. <laughs> it could be crazy making. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're both on point. That leads into the fifth strive quality, which is vigilance. So this is the, and this is being vigilant of your surroundings, particularly being attentive to other people's needs, mm-hmm. having a, a keen ability to sense subtleties in their environment. So. Uh, if you have ever kind of noticed just the vibe change in a room or you can read somebody's body language instantly, um, that's that vigilance kind of radar up. Um, but being high alert, being on high alert in this way, just always scanning for um, danger many times can be really draining. And many times sensitive drivers will imagine danger where there is none, like reading into feedback, for example, or let's say someone didn't answer my email, they automatically hate me. And so to answer both of your question, um, what, what I do with my clients is assess which of these uh, six qualities that we're going to, going through, which of these areas are they most imbalanced? So someone, Chad, as, as to what you were saying, maybe really unbalanced in their thoughtfulness and just totally trapped in their own head where they are um, just so reflective. They're trying to um, be so strategic that they're actually not taking action. They're trying to think their way through a problem, which is not possible many times versus someone else may have a problem with vigilance where they're paying so much attention to what everybody else needs that they have no idea what their own preferences and desires are. So, um, being a sensitive striver, it's a combination of all of these qualities, but any one individual may be uh, balanced or unbalanced in, in any one area more than another. So the goal is, is balance. Exactly. In the word I use a lot of integration. Like yes, really that's exactly right. That beautiful point of, of um, connection between mm-hmm. I can go in, you know, and it's interesting. So Chad is a type four in the Enneagram, which is... Mm-hmm the individualist or the romantic their superpower is their own inner emotional landscape. Uh, so they're really good at understanding their own emotions. And I'm a two, which is very other referencing. So I'm really good at understanding other people's emotions mm-hmm. and kind of my own, my own needs. Um, so I think it's really interesting that we're both coming at this question with different perspectives. Um, yeah. But I love this idea of, of wholeness and integration and that balance really is the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of emotions, so the okay. sixth strive quality, the last one is emotionality. Oh, you're that transition. She's yeah, I'm good. Well, you're both, you're both giving it to me on a silver platter. So, um, yeah. And, and so the last drive quality is emotionality, which is, uh, 
again, being big feelers, uh, having complex emotional responses, both positive and negative. So we're, we're able to experience the richness uh, of positive feelings like joy, gratitude, happiness, but we can also get stuck in pretty intense modes of fear, self-doubt, overwhelm, anger, and stay stuck in those modes for longer because our, our reactions are so intense, especially when we don't have the right tools to, to move forward through our emotions constructively. Um, so those are the six, uh, sensitivity, thoughtfulness, responsibility, inner drive, vigilance, and emotionality. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I shift a little bit into sensitive strivers in the workplace. Um, sure. Kind of, you know, because you do coach executives, high performers, people in work environments. Um, so I'm really curious, kind of, uh, if you would talk about the pitfalls a little bit. Um, why do people kind of, you know, why do they come to your door? Why do they, mm-hmm. they pick the phone and call you? What are the struggles that you're seeing? And Uh, How do you coach people through this? Yeah. So I'll tell you that the main, the number one challenge people come to me for is imposter syndrome, is dealing with their own negative self-talk, mental chatter, overthinking uh, that is leading them Mm -hmm. to get in their own way, to not trust their judgment, to uh, slow down their decision-making that holds them back from not speaking up and contributing at the level they want to or need to, um, that drives them to, to overwork because they feel like they need to overcompensate for those insecurities by always doing more. Um, so I would say imposter syndrome is number one. People-pleasing is a very close second. Um, and probably uh, I would say some combination of... Um, work-life balance would probably be in there as well. Mm-hmm. I, I read in one of your articles um, some ideas about being direct. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember which one that was, but it, it really, it was, it stuck out to me. It's really important. Uh, and, you know, Chad and I've talked about this idea of power mm-hmm. uh, and how it looks different on different people. And, you know, but to influence or to have power is really important, especially in leadership positions. So, like, you know, based on, you know, the imposter syndrome, um, you know, speaking up and moving into power, what, how, like, what does that look like? How do you help people? Like, walk us through a little bit of what, how you would coach someone to come to step into their power. And maybe also, like, what does that look like for a sensitive mm. to have that sense of embodied power that they're coming into work, building teams? Uh, communicating directly, like just help us talk through that a little bit. Yeah, I would say there's, we always start with the mindset side because until we get your, your thoughts and your beliefs about yourself in order, um, your actions can only follow with there from there because we act consistently with our beliefs about ourselves. So if you believe that you are not a good communicator, that you have nothing of value to say, that if you say something stupid, everyone's going to figure out you're a fraud, well, mm-hmm. your your actions are always going to follow those beliefs. So you'll hold back. You won't say anything. Um, you may over-explain because you're unconfident and you may just kind of verbal <laughs> verbal vomit everywhere and not speak as concisely as you can. Um, so we have to work on getting the mindset 
in place. So that is primarily always where I start with people is working on the underlying beliefs and negative self-talk that drives their sense of insecurity and imposter syndrome. And of course, I mean, that's a a very personal process and takes a lot of unpacking for every person. But one of the handiest little hacks, if I, if I could give that to listeners, would be to name that negative self-talk, to give it a name, to give it an identity as something that is separate from you. And this is important because we sensitive strivers were very fused with our thinking because we pride ourselves on being deep thinkers, uh, being reflective and observant. We, we, we put, place a lot of value in our thoughts, but our thoughts are not always reflective of reality. They're, especially with imposter syndrome and negative self-talk, there's a lot of distortions going on there where our thinking doesn't necessarily reflect the truth of the situation, and it definitely doesn't serve us in moving forward. So the simplest little hack is to, is to name your inner critic to give it an identity that's separate from you so that you can start gaining some mental and psychological distance from it. So you can see it as something separate from you so that you don't just automatically react to what it's saying and taking it as truth, but you can look at it more objectively and say, is this a thought I even want to believe? How true is this? How helpful is this to me right now? Um, And I have had clients name their inner critic, everything under the sun. Uh, I had one name his Darth Vader and uh, he actually got a little Darth Vader Lego figure that he kept on his desk. And every time, you know, his inner critic would start getting in his way, he was questioning a a call he had to make or whatever it was. He would just kind of look at that and say, not today, Darth. And it was a helpful little exercise just to put that voice in his place and help him move on. So it also brings some lightness and humor to something that we take very seriously and uh, just let it control all of our actions. Can I, can I back up a tiny bit? Um, yeah, of course. Imposter syndrome. So I, I mm-hmm. can tell, so you're largely connecting it to the inner critic and I definitely see the, yeah, the connection But imposter syndrome, it also like it comes for from different reasons, right? Like it's not, it's not. Sometimes it's like some success came too easily to somebody, and they feel maybe like an imposter. And sometimes it's maybe because they're feeling huge overwhelm and burnout, and maybe they're really not doing, they're not in the exact right fit. So, could you talk about like where that comes from and how we're kind of defining that? Yeah. So imposter syndrome, broadly speaking, is the uh, belief that you are a fake or a fraud who will be found out at any moment, despite having obvious accomplishments. So despite promotions and having a great job title and getting good feedback, you have not internalized your successes. And that's, that's the fundamental part of imposter syndrome is that inability to internalize your own success. And you're right. There, there's different, not to complicate things too far, but there are different reasons that imposter syndrome comes about and different um, types of imposter syndrome. Uh, you do have people who 
the natural genius, as you were referring to before, where things just come so easily. Well, how could it be important if it comes so easily to me? And with sensitive strivers, you were talking about how would you coach someone? And that's actually a lot of what we, what I work on with my clients is helping them put, put this framework and put language around understanding and more intentionally using their strengths. Because many people come to me and they either feel like, well, these certain aspects of communication or my job come so easily to me. Being empathetic, who cares? Emotional intelligence, that's not important. When we know, and so much of the research shows that, especially the higher you rise as a leader, the more important those soft skills, which I hate that word, but the more important those soft skills become. Um, And many sensitive strivers compare themselves to more aggressive, more gregarious and outgoing types of personalities and hold themselves to that standard of, I should be more like that person. I should be really outgoing. I should be doing this and doing that rather than they're wasting so much energy trying to become someone they're not rather than leaning more fully into who they are and valuing that aspect of themselves And usually they're not doing it because the imposter syndrome is blocking them from feeling that's valuable or it matters or it will make a difference. That's good. Yeah. Very helpful. So I am curious, um, in your work, do you, what practices, like it maybe it's a daily or weekly or, you know, things that you, you are like with, with your clients who do identify as a sensitive striver, what are the things you're like, okay, you need to integrate these practices into your life to help you flourish. And I'm also, you know, interested in what your kind of daily, weekly rhythms and practices might be uh, that keep you in that, in that flow of place in this, in this work. Yeah. And and thank you for asking that. I, I am a, um, type A (laughs) to the bone and my Enneagram is actually a one with a wing of three. So I'm a perfectionist with a achiever. <laughs> um, so I am very much type A. I thrive on structure. And actually that sense of, of structure and predictability is what helps me personally manage my sensitivity. Because if I feel uh, out of control or it, it, mostly it's that feeling of being in control and my habits and routines and structures help me with that. Mm-hmm. So a few things that work for me, um, I block my weeks. I, uh, rather, I should say I theme my days. So mm-hmm. I have two coaching days mm-hmm. per week where on those days I am just coaching hat on, fully locked into that mode and can be sort of on in that way. But then I have the other three days a week where those are more reserved for strategy, content creation, more creative, generative type work. And during those days, I can really be in that mindset. So for me, it's very helpful not to, it it helps me manage my energy, not to task switch as much from day to day and really have those big blocks uh, of time where I can anticipate kind of how I have to be on. Um, So that's one thing that's very helpful to me. Uh, as is limiting decision fatigue. <laughs> so this is one way I really manage my tendency to overthink things is I premeditate a lot of decisions. <laughs> so 
this is where, um, you know, I, I have a meal plan every week that I plan out and then that's what I do. That's what I eat. I don't have to every day think about in the one hour or 45 minutes I have for lunch, what am I going to make and what do I have to do? It, it eliminates all of that stress for me. Um, so any, any way I can limit, uh, eliminate decisions, automate them is really, really helpful for saving my energy for the things that matter. Um, and then the last thing I would say is each week, uh, every Saturday I do a CEO report, which is a weekly reflection on some metrics in my business. So I can keep tabs on those, but also more open-ended personal questions about what were my biggest lessons learned this week? What other projects are on the horizon? Uh, what were my biggest wins so that I'm internalizing my own accomplishments, but I'm also taking that time to reflect on, learn, grow, not just sort of forging ahead, um, managing that ambitious side of me that always just wants to be doing. Uh, I have to build in that time to slow down. I like it. Yeah, that sounds Those are really good. Tips. That also sounds super self-disciplined. I'm going to have to think about that next time I just wake up and just start blowing the leaves outside or something. <laughs> Maybe um, you're a little bit more uh, pro proactive. Right. I, I, I definitely want to like solve the meal plan thing, man. That just keeps coming up on us every single yeah. every yeah. day. We're yeah, the hamster wheel. What, what are we doing for dinner? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, Melody, this has been so delightful. You've got an exciting book as well coming out very soon. Tell us what it's about and uh, can, can our audience get an advanced reading copy or anything? Yes. So thank you so much. The, the book is called Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. So very apropos to everything we talked about today. And it's, thank you. Thank you. It's very exciting. It was uh, four years in the works from the time I worked on the proposal to actual publication. So um, very exciting. But if you enjoyed what we were talking about here today, about being a sensitive striver, the book is really filled with very practical strategies and exercises to help you regain your confidence, overcome imposter syndrome, and get out of your own way so you can actually use your sensitivity as a superpower. And it comes out in May, but it is available for pre-order now, so you can get your copy at Amazon or any other bookseller. Okay. Awesome. And where, where can people find you? Yes, you can find me at MelodyWilding.com um, or on social pretty much anywhere at, at Melody Wilding. That's where I'm hanging out. And yeah, I would love to talk to you more. Yeah, and we'll uh, link your website to our, our show notes as well. So thank you so much for being here. This was great. Yes, really appreciate your time sharing it with your wisdom and insights. And uh, this is just great for our audience. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a lot of fun. Thanks, Melody. Yeah, this was like a soul sister conversation. I feel a little put back together. When I when I have coaching with people, my goal is to help them assemble themselves, reassemble before we end our time together. And I do. I feel very understood by you, Melody. I feel reassembled and a little bit stronger conversation. I do too. It's for men too. That's right. That's right. And I'm so glad to, to help people feel seen is, is really the goal and help people feel validated and uh, accepted in who they are is the ultimate goal. Sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. You be well. 
Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. At the Big Self School, we know you want to connect with the world in a way that's meaningful. And to do that, you need a community that supports you along the way. This episode was brought to you ad-free by Big Self School. And right now, we are offering our best-selling book, Who Do You Think You Are? 365 Meditations and the Books They Came From. It's in a gorgeous, accessible, soft cover format, perfect as a gift for you or to others. Publishers Weekly just reviewed it favorably. You can check out everything that people are saying about it at bigselfschool.com backslash 365. Super easy to remember because it's 365 meditations. BigSelfSchool.com backslash 365. Next week, our guests are Jenna Breslin and Evan DeMarco on ways to take personal responsibility for our whole complete self. And they are helping us sign out of 2020 and enter a whole new year with power and big love can't wait for you to hear that one. As always, we are signing out with big love. Thanks for tuning in today.